Let's uh, take our Bibles, please, and turn, please, with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to read the uh, entire portion, the uh, 16 verses of this chapter to put us into the full context. 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. Managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. If you've not been with us, you'll know that we are studying God's revealed plan for his church. The year and the theme verse, which is behind me, uh, is where we have been for a number of months and quite possibly will stay here for a number of months. You'll recall, if you've been with us for any length of time, that we have uh, begun a series, a mini-series, if you like, on church leadership. And we began looking at preeminent leadership. That is, Christ's unrivaled leadership of the body as the head of the church. We spent a, a number of Sundays looking at that. And then last week, we finished our second part, which was pastoral leadership. The local spiritual leadership of the church, the pastor, the elder, the shepherd, the same person, different ways to describe that same person, pastor, shepherd, elder, overseer, and so forth. And you'll remember we went through all of those individual points last week. We managed to get through, I think it was 27 points last week, a new record in this church, I'm fairly sure. And this morning, we're going to begin what I think will be a two-part as we talk about practical leadership. We're looking at the local practical leadership of the role of deacon and deaconesses. This will be our subject for the next two Sundays, Lord willing. 
And I want to start by helping us understand that there's a great deal of misconception regarding the role and responsibilities of what is called a deacon. Some assemblies, and some of us may have had experiences like this, operate with a board of deacons who manage the church, whilst others see the role as a title or an honour to be bestowed upon those who are committed to the church. Some churches try to install everybody as a deacon. Others see deacons as the number two in the hierarchy of the church. Some believe deacons are exclusively male. Others practice gender equality in both role and responsibility. There is a plethora of ideas when it comes to this concept of deacon. In fact, I would suggest to you that there are as many different perspectives on the subject as there are churches. Seems like there's almost a uh, a specific idea in every single church. As always, and I hope we've come to know this from this local assembly, we want the scripture to be our final authority. So we want to spend some time this morning understanding what a deacon is, who can be a deacon, and what a deacon does over the course of this week and next. So this morning, practical leadership, part one. Lord, thank you for uh, this time we have together. Uh, Lord, I pray this would not just be an intellectual exercise. I pray that it wouldn't just be fact-finding and information, uh, but that, Lord, you would use what we read in the Scriptures to, uh, in our own hearts, be challenged and convicted. Uh, Lord, we're dealing with a specific subject, uh, and it would be easy to walk away from such a message as this, uh, unchanged, untouched, but, Lord, help us to be sensitive to what the Spirit would uh, want us to see in our own lives as we consider Uh, your goal and your specifics in the word regarding uh, this matter of deacon, practical leadership. Help us this morning in these few minutes we have together, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the question, we've talked about this matter of spiritual leadership, uh, pastoral leadership. We've dealt with that. I think we've covered that in a a reasonable uh, covering. There's much more to it. But this morning we want to ask a couple of questions. The question is, what is a deacon in relationship to the scripture? Not, again, what we see in churches today. What does the scripture say regarding a deacon? So the first question, what is a deacon? The word deacon or deacons only appears in our translation that we use here five times. That's all in the English. It's all it's used five times. But you need to understand something about this word deacon. The word deacon has no direct meaning in English because it's what we call a transliteration. It comes from the Greek word diakonos. We get the word deacon directly from the Greek word diakonos. It's a transliteration. So if you looked up the word deacon in a dictionary, although it may have some definition, what it should say is go and find out what the word diakonos means because that's where we got it from. Okay. So we need to understand, first of all, this is a Greek term. It's not an English term by its original usage. And though the word deacon is used rarely in the scripture, this is very interesting. The word diakonos, the Greek word, is used over 100 times in the New Testament. So even though the English word deacon appears five times, the Greek word that forms that word is used over 100 times in the Bible. And so we have to say, well, Why is it only translated as deacon on five occasions? What does that word then mean? Why is there over 100 occurrences of this Greek word diakonos? So let me translate it for you, first of all. 
The word diakonos has a very simple meaning. It simply means servant. Servant. It comes from a word that speaks of someone who is an attendant. Someone who perhaps would serve you your meal. Uh, Particularly in a rich household, there would be those who technically would be called servants and they would go around and they would hand meals to those people who would be in that household. That is the original meaning of this word diakonos. It referred to those who waited on tables, those who served food. But by the time we get to this passage in the New Testament in 1 Timothy 3 and later on in the New Testament, this word diakonos didn't just mean serving food or waiting on people. It just had a general sense of any kind of service, any kind at all. It's a very, very general term. No specifics attached to it in the general sense. You could say that person over there is serving because they are vacuuming the floor. That person over there is serving because they're preparing a meal in there. They're serving because they're washing the window. Anything that is an active task being done is a service. And that's what this word literally means. Servant in every sense. If we go and take a Greek concordance, and we don't want to get too uh, technical this morning, but if we take a Greek concordance and we look up all the times that word diakonos is used, we find that it's used in lots and lots of different places, and we find that it's used for different people doing different tasks. For example, in Matthew 22 and verse 13, it's used of the servants before a king. So it's used in the realm of royalty. The angels that ministered to the Lord Jesus after he was tempted in the wilderness. You remember that account in Matthew chapter 4? The angels came and ministered to him after the devil left. That's the word diakonos. They came and served or ministered to him. When we read that the Lord Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many, that act or that service is called the diakonos. His service, his work that he accomplished is referred to in this same word. Then we find in Romans chapter 14, you remember when we're told that we need to obey the rulers and authorities that God has established? The Bible tells us in that passage that they are God's servant, diakonos, for your good. The reason I say all of this is that it is used in a great deal of way. There's a great plethora of meaning when it comes to this matter of diakonos, service or servant. But there's one thing that is unchanging about this word, and this is what we want to understand. In every usage of the scripture, it always involves serving. Always involves serving and never self-serving. Always serving another. This word diakonos, always used in reference to action, service, and not self-centered. The general use of the word didn't take into account what kind of a person was doing the service. So here's what I mean by that. The word is used for kings. It's used for angels. It's used for the apostles. It's used for pastors. It's used for ministers, for slaves, and even for demons. Demons are called messengers of light. Remember that? When they transform themselves into messengers of light, even that word there is the same word. It's service in every sense, irrespective of the individual person and their role. But 
When we come to 1 Timothy chapter 3, suddenly the word diakonos takes on a new meaning. It hasn't before now. It has always meant generally service. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3, as we read before, Paul is saying to Timothy in the church of Jesus Christ, I want to tell you how you need to behave yourself. Now, as an elder or an overseer, these are the specifics. And then we get to verse 8. And Paul says, in the same manner, the servants of the church need to be like this. And he creates this new concept of a diakonos, a servant of the church that is not general, but specific. To help us understand this, I want you just to quickly turn, if you would, to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 and the very first two verses give us an insight into this reality. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1 The Bible says that Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, notice what it says next, with the overseers and deacons. This is the only other place in the scripture, aside from one other that I'll talk about in a moment, that deals with a specific role, as some would call it, an office of the deacon. I'm a bit hesitant to use the word office, but I think you know what I mean. A specific role that God has given to those within his church. We have the elders and we have the deacons. Back in Philippians, uh, excuse me, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you'll turn back there. We're going to look for a few moments at some very specific things as it relates to this matter of deacons and particularly diakonos as a role. Not just in the general usage of the word. Now, when we come to realize that 1 Timothy chapter 3, Philippians chapter 1, and then another place in Romans chapter 16, is dealing with actual individuals who've been set aside for a task by God, by the apostles, by the elders of the church, then we come to a real problem. Because today, there is a great deal of controversy surrounding this idea of what a deacon is, what a deacon does, who is supposed to be a deacon, what does that look like? And we need to be clear on this. Now, we are Baptist by name as a church. In a lot of ways, we're not Baptist by what we do in some things. But I want to say this this morning. Baptists are the worst for understanding this aspect of diakonos. Here's what I mean by this. For the most part, the Baptist denomination has greatly misused and misunderstood and misinterpreted the idea of this deacon. In many places, the deacon, particularly in Baptist assemblies, has become a pseudo-elder. Here's what I mean by that. It's like an elder, but not having the authority or the responsibility, and yet being involved in those decision-making practices and so forth. These men, and I'm being very general, I know, but these men are usually involved on a spiritual leadership level, helping and providing some feedback Unfortunately, they are often yes men to the pastor and they do not function according to the biblical pattern or meet the criteria set out in the scriptures. We're going to get to some of this next week a little bit more. It's really important that we understand something here this morning when it comes to this aspect of a deacon. The scripture 
is very vague regarding the specific function of the deacon. What is the deacon to do? We're going to find out next week as we look at that. What is this person supposed to be doing? The Bible is very vague on the specifics of the actual tasks, but it is incredibly clear on what is required to be one. The scripture is not unclear about the attributes and qualifications of those who are going to serve in this capacity. Let's look at it again in verse 8. The Bible says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You'll note from that last verse of verse 13 there, there's a wonderful truth and reward for the church that executes the diakonos correctly. Look at what it says. Those who serve well as deacons gain a good, understand, a good standing for themselves and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. It's a wonderful thing. This is a glorious thing in the church of Jesus Christ for a deacon to fulfill the role correctly. But there are very, very strict and clearly set out criteria for such a one. So the question that we're asking is, what is a deacon in the specific scriptural sense? What is this person? Here's how I have put it together in my own mind as I've studied this out. It is an individual who meets the criteria of 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 13, and who is a leader in any practical service within the local church. Let me say that again. It's an individual who meets the biblical criteria of 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 13, and one who is a leader in any practical service within the local church. Perhaps another way to look at this would be the biblical role of deacons is to take care of the physical and logistical needs of the church so that the elders can concentrate on their primary calling. That's the point. The responsibilities, so the works, the activities of the deacon is incredibly flexible. But the criteria is not. The criteria is not. So that's what a deacon is in a nutshell. Here's the next question. What, what is not a deacon? Or what a deacon is not? Here's the problem this morning that we're going to come across in just a few minutes when I, uh, I show you something perhaps that maybe you haven't seen before or not been confronted with. There is a great misunderstanding about this aspect of being a deacon. See, here's the reality of the scripture. This is what a deacon is not. A deacon is not an individual who operates with spiritual authority in the church. A deacon is not someone who operates with spiritual authority in the church. Never. Here is a really important thing for us as a church as we look to the future 
installing those people who are so qualified to be deacons, we need to understand this. A deacon is not charged with the over oversight of the church. A deacon does not have spiritual authority, nor will a deacon, and this is critical, a deacon will never give an account before the Lord for his oversight of the local church. That is exclusive to the elders. One day, Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 13 and verse 17 tells us that the elder or the pastor, the teacher, the leader is going to one day give an account before the Lord that he may do it with joy and not with grief. We know that passage. We looked at it last week. No such passage relates to the deacon. The deacon is not called to oversight in any sense of the people of God, except in the practical applications of helping. It's also important to note that the deacon is not responsible for any form of teaching or preaching or exposition of the word. Not to say that a deacon cannot do that, but that is not his responsibility. Is everybody still with me? Still understanding where we're headed here? We are going somewhere specific for just a few minutes here. So here's the question. What is the difference between the elders then and the deacons? What's the difference between these two? Both are given by God. Both are called of God. Both are to be a part of a local church. What's the difference between an elder and a deacon? First of all, this is absolutely crucial that we understand this. Both are equally qualified as it relates to morality, spiritual life, and character. They both have the exact same blueprint of blamelessness in the life. Elder and deacon, we need to understand that. However, the difference is not in the life and character, but in the calling, the responsibility and the functionality. Put it another way, the main difference between the elder and the deacon is a difference of gifts and calling, not character ever. Here's an example for you in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 9. We read that a minute ago. The Bible says they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, we're told that the elder is to be able to teach. Here's the basic difference between the elder and the, and the, and the deacon. One is called to hold to the faith. The other is called to teach the faith. One is to hold to it, the other is to teach. Clearly the one who is called to teach, the elder, has a greater responsibility when it comes to the word of God. He is to be consumed with prayer and teaching and fasting and and all of those aspects that relate to the spiritual leadership and shepherding of the entire church. Whereas this individual over here, which is still called by God to the local assembly, is not responsible for the teaching, but they must hold firm to the faith. That is being taught. Understand the difference? John MacArthur writes this in reference to deacons it is a role of service, of sacrifice, of commitment to the other's needs. The reward of the deacon's office is not temporal glory that comes from human adulation, but rather the eternal blessing that comes from living a life of spiritual service to the glory of God. See, the difficulty in so many places is that 
If we misunderstand this aspect of a deacon, a deacon will think that they are somehow responsible for greater things than what they are. And so they don't see that their reward is eternal as opposed to the adulation that comes from men, which can quite often come from someone who is involved in teaching and preaching up the front. That's often something that goes with the territory on that, that a lot of people will uh, lift up that person who teaches and preaches. But here is a deacon who is literally perhaps vacuuming the floor that nobody sees or stacking chairs or, or painting a building or whatever else and there is not immediate human adulation for that and what MacArthur said in that quote is very very pertinent this is not about temporal glory for the individual it's never about that neither the elder or the deacon but because one is up front and the other is a servant role in a different setting it is often misunderstood or misused and many people think well I'm just going to become a, a deacon because you know then I'm involved in decision making That's misunderstood from the scripture greatly. That's not what it's about at all. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of a summary in a nutshell of what a deacon is. The last thing I want to do this morning before it becomes afternoon is I want to ask this question. Who can be a deacon? Who can be a deacon? The Bible is extremely clear when it comes to the criteria of a deacon. Now, I want to say at the forefront right now that what I'm about to share is not a hill that I am prepared to die on. Okay, there's some hills I'm prepared to die on. Okay, you want to attack the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? You want to attack imputation or or the righteousness of Christ that's imputed? Any of that? You want to attack any of that? That's a hill I'm going to die on. We're going to separate, etc. I am not prepared to die on this hill this morning. Okay, Um, nor am I overly concerned if there are differences of opinion in our own assembly here this morning. But I do think that before we look at the credentials of a deacon, which will be next week. I want to clarify my position on whether women can hold the office or role of a deacon. Now everybody's probably going to sit up straight. Go on. Here we get to a controversial one. Here we go. All right. After prayer and after careful study, reading and examination of the scriptural text, I have come to the opinion that I believe that women, like men, should serve in the role of deacon. Having carefully scrutinized the scripture, this goes against everything I have ever been told. So for some, this may mean absolutely nothing because you may have always thought that. But for for me, who has grown up and has always been told that uh, deacons are always to be men, full stop, uh, this is quite revolutionary for me. It may shock some. It may even cause some unrest in our assembly this morning. But I believe if we look very carefully at the scriptures and study it like good Bereans, we will see how this functions. So in the moments that I have left, I want to clarify why I believe that women ought to be deacons just like men. We have five reasons to look at. Turn with me please to Romans chapter 16 and verse 1. Romans chapter 16 Paul's epistle to Rome and verse 1. So at the end of the book of Romans, Paul is writing some of the final comments. He's making personal greetings to different ones. And in verse 1, to the church at 
Rome, he writes in verse chapter 16, verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever way she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and myself as well. Remember how I said we have this term diakonos that can be used generally and it can be used specifically. Now, many would hold to this particular text and say, this is a general term. It could be said of anybody. That's true. It could be. Except for one major difference in the way that Paul has written this. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church. This is a very unusual. Most times in the scripture when you read of Epaphras or these other people who are called servants, it never says a servant of the church belonging to a specific role and title given to this person, Phoebe. And we know almost nothing about this lady. Some would suggest that, you know, she's an older lady, her husband has died, and she's committed herself to the work of the church. It's quite possible. We don't know. But we do know that this is the word diakonos, and it is in relationship to a specific local church. Now, I recognize this morning that that is insufficient data. I'm not going to build an argument on one verse in the whole Bible. Um, People do that all the time, and uh, we need to be very careful about that. So that's not sufficient for me, but that's one reason, in, uh, if you like, out of these five, that to me, as I studied it, I came to the conclusion that Paul makes this very specific. And then in verse 2, he says she's a patron. She's an assistant or a helper, is that word. Of many and myself as well. In addition, she's also the one who bore the epistle of Romans. She's the one who carried it as a servant of the church. Okay, that's one reason. Phoebe was a deacon of the church of Sincrea. If you turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, I have to confess that this second one has bothered me for some time and I guess perhaps just with a a lack of time over the years, I've not spent sufficient time in this particular portion, but it has bothered me for some years now. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and if you look there in verse 11, their wives likewise must be dignified and not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Now, if we read that on face value, it sounds to us as though the deacon is a male and therefore his wife needs to be a certain way. That's what we see there in this particular translation. That makes sense. We have no problem with that. But the problem comes when we begin to study the original language because we find a real discrepancy here that's a real problem. Unfortunately, both the King James and our ESV translation have... I believe mistranslated. They have poorly translated what is being said here. The word there, T-H-E-I-R, in verse 11, and the word wives do not appear in the original in that form at all. In fact, the word there is not there at all. There is not there. That's helpful, isn't it? There is not there. So what is there in the text, everybody following, is the word 
wives, or the translation of that word, wives. So we have to ask the question here this morning, what is Paul actually saying? Now, I think very helpful for us this morning for me to read two other translations. The Revised Standard Version reads this exact same verse like this. Women, in like manner, must be grave, not slanderous, temperate, faithful in all things. Okay? The New American Standard Bible says women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. The possessive pronoun there is not actually there. So we say, okay, so what? So it still says wives. Yeah, but here's the problem. The word wives is translated exactly the same as virgin and women. So we have to now ask the question... Are we supposed to have the word wives or women here in this text? Because if we read it differently, this is what it says. It says, women likewise must be dignified. That changes everything. Have a look there. It says, if they prove themselves blameless, verse 11, women likewise must be dignified. Suddenly, if we take that perspective, that means that it's no longer about the wife of a deacon. It's about a woman fulfilling the role of a deacon. Do you see that in the text? I hope I'm not confusing it too much. You might have to listen to this message again. We're going to get to a reason why this is so critical in just a minute. But the second reason, which I've just given, is it's a poor translation. It's a poor translation. It's not true and accurate to the Greek, I don't believe. So Phoebe's a deacon, I believe, in Romans 16. Secondly, there's a poor translation in our text, 1 Timothy 3. Thirdly, the term diakonos never, ever has the connotation of authority or teaching. You say, why is that relevant? The prohibition in the scripture is for the woman to be usurping the authority of a man and teaching in the public setting of the church, according to 1 Timothy 2.12. Paul says, just before this, I do not permit a woman to teach nor to have dominion over a man, but to be in quietness. Now, if we understand what diakonos means, it does not involve teaching. It does not involve having authority in the church. Therefore, our misunderstanding of this word diakonos has prohibited women from serving in the church... And there's no teaching involved in it. So my third reason is that there is no authority given to this role of diakonos in the Bible anywhere. Number four. And this one sealed the deal, number four, for me. And this is the one that's bothered me for a while now. If the Bible is so clear on the role of an elder, a teacher, if it is so clear about his conduct and his character and his life, and yet it never once speaks of the wife of an elder, and yet here we get to a deacon who is practical service and suddenly there is specific criteria for the wife of a deacon... There's something wrong. 
Because there is an inconsistency here between the fact that here am I, an elder of this church, here is Terry, and never once both here or in Titus is there a specific claim to the wife of an elder, apart from the fact that the household needs to be in order, but there's nothing specific about the wife of an elder. But suddenly we get to a servant in the church, and now the servant's wife, there is specific things. Something is wrong. Something is wrong. And so I look at this text and I say, well, hang on a second. If the wife of a deacon, it says here, is to be dignified, not a slanderer, sober-minded, faithful in all things, why is that not a prerequisite for the wife of an elder in the previous text or in Titus chapter 1 where we find the other place for an elder? It's the absence of qualification for the elder's wife. And so I say, well, that seals the deal for me just on that alone. If that's not enough, we have one more, one more consideration. And this is a poor argument, and I recognise this, but it is still a small argument in the overall scheme. Deaconesses in church history. We see from the early fathers of the church, from just past the Apostle John, into the early 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th century of the church, we see that deaconesses were a reality in those churches. Now, that is not sufficient. We don't look at history and say, well, they did it, therefore we can. But it does give us an interesting insight. Origen, John Chrysotham, Theodoret, Clement of Alexandria, and many others are all referencing deaconesses in the local church. Uh, That gives me just that little bit more of an edge to say, well, these people were in and around the apostles. Hopefully they gleaned some things from them. And we see there that some of these people were called the second and third Phoebes of the New Testament on their sarcophagus or their graves that we read of uh, in history. So my reasoning this morning, and I hope I've made sense, why I believe that women ought to be what we might call deaconesses. Phoebe was a deacon of the church. There is a poor translation in our current one, not in others. The term diakonos has no connotation of authority or teaching. There's the absence of qualification for the elder's wife and then there is church history. And so against everything that I have ever held and believed, I cannot but say to me the scripture makes it clear that we need to operate like a New Testament church that has both deacons and deaconesses, but they are not to be seen as positions of authority or teaching or that they will give an account for the church one day when they stand before the Lord. Truthfully, this morning, I have no idea if anything I have said has made any sense whatsoever. But next week, when we come back, we're going to look at the specifics of what the Bible says about the criteria of both deacons and assuming that there are deaconesses in accordance with 1 Timothy chapter 3. Lord, thank you for uh, the study that has been done for the time we've spent. It's been uh, in some ways highly academic, and uh, I hope that that has not Uh, caused us uh, any grief here this morning or that we have lost track of what's in your word we don't want to twist or change or usurp the authority of the word Uh, lord you know my heart's desire to live according to the truths found in here i pray that we are doing that if for some reason what has been said is not right uh, convict and challenge and change my own heart Uh, but lord if these things are true then lord may we operate as a new testament church abiding by what we see in the word not what we see in church culture today. Thank you for uh, the study that we can do together. Thank you for the fellowship we have, for the joy it is to be able to participate in worship.
together here this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.